Father, thank you for this chance uh, to worship you through the sermon. And uh, Lord God, I pray that you'd help everybody here to kind of remember the things that we've talked about so far in John. And so that would kind of be a miracle for some because they weren't here when we talked about those things in John. But God, I pray that you would bring it together and I pray that you would help us to preach. And I feel like there's such a heart, I mean, I really mean that, Jesus, because I, I like I get a glimpse of you, as, maybe even especially in John and in the Revelation, well, in the whole deal. And God, you're breathtaking. And um, it feels so far beyond me. And so, Lord, I pray that you would breathe your life into these words and into our hearts, and you would help us to believe um, something that is not uh, uh, maybe necessarily, uh, well, it's too hard to believe because it's too good to believe. You're good, Lord God. Help us to believe your gospel. In Jesus' name we ask it. Help us to preach. Amen. That's Dr. Jekyll turning into Mr. Hyde, or perhaps the other way around. I'm not exactly sure how it works, but it's kind of a reminder that what you drink can affect you right? Drinking a cup is kind of dangerous. And so it might be best not to drink at all. And yet if you never drink, you'll die. Or perhaps you're already dead. Hey, look, here's a cup and uh, we're fixing to drink it. In Scripture, the, the word cup, you, you know, it, you know what it, the word cup means? It means cup. <laughs> but, but not just cup. It means an experience. And so to drink a cup is to experience an experience. To drink a, a cup is uh, to uh, surrender to an experience. And, and to hand someone a cup is to give them an experience. And to drink a common cup is to share an experience. Anthony DeMello wrote this, life is like heady wine. Everyone reads the label on the bottle and hardly anyone drinks the wine. We label things in order to gain control, but when we experience things, we surrender control. Life is like wine in a cup. My, my friend Tony Campolo used to ask his students at Eastern College this question, how long have you lived? And usually they'd answer, oh, you know, 20 years, 21 years, whatever their age was. You'd say, no, that's not what I mean. I'm asking how long have you lived? Not how long have you existed, but how long have you, have you really lived? He then described what he meant. Not the meaningless passage of time, but time infused with meaning. Moments in which you are fully engaged and drink deeply the experience that is handed to you, whatever that experience is. I don't think I'll ever forget this one moment when I was a child riding on the school bus. I was about 40 feet east of Ridge Road on Prince Street, and I remember I was sitting in the seat staring at my shoes on that black ribbed 
um, rubber floor. And I had this thought. I exist now. And, and one day I'll, I'll probably be old and, and, and I will exist then, but I am now. I remember I was just filled with wonder over my own existence. I, I drank it in. I drank that cup. I lived that moment. Or, or walking down uh, the trail from Upper Cataract Lake all, all, all alone one day. I remember I just looked up and I saw creation and I just drank it in. I lived that moment. They placed my newborn son in my arms. I spoke and he stopped crying. And for a moment... I wasn't caught in the past, and I wasn't worried about the future. I mean, I was fully present, and I drank him in. I lived that moment. I drank it in. My dad was barely breathing. He could no longer talk. His last words had been, thank you as he handed a cup back to me because I had handed the cup to him. It was a communion cup. And remember, I put my face right down next to his and I said, Dad, you don't have to breathe the air in this world any longer. It was such a painful moment. And yet it was such a real moment. You see, I think it was an eternal moment. Well, Tony would explain to his class what he would mean by the question, how long have you lived? And then invariably they would say, well, gosh, um, gee, if you put it that way, I guess maybe a minute, maybe two. In John 10, Jesus said that he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Well, you see, abundant life isn't simply more life, longer life. Life uh, just keeps going on and on and on. And, and abundant life isn't simply life devoid of all conflict, pain, and disappointment. How many of you have ever read a book about a man or a woman that got everything they wanted whenever they wanted it all the time? Have you ever read a book like that? Last night, someone raised their hand and they said, well, all I have is called The Great Divorce. And I go, yeah, that's about people in hell. And there really is no story in, in hell, and it's in the context of heaven. But you see, th there really are no books like that. Because a life like that is not a life. A life is a story, and a story includes conflict, pain, and wounds. So you see, if I write my own story, it's really not a story. It's not a life because I eliminate all conflict, all pain, all wounds. To write my own story is to refuse to live my life. It would be nothing more than, well, I, I woke up late on the beach and drank beer. And then I uh, fell asleep and woke up, drank beach and uh, drank beer on the beach. And then I woke up, drank late on the beach and, and drank beer. You see, no pain, no wounds, no drama, no meaning, no life. Remember our last sermon from John? The first thing that Jesus shows his disciples when he rises from the dead in his eternal and indestructible body, he shows them his wounds. Eternal wounds. 
that he received in this temporal reality. Well, anyway, Tony would ask the, the question, and then he'd say something like this. Perhaps eternal life is comprised of eternal moments, you know, those moments in which you really live, in which you drink the cup that the Lord hands you. Perhaps every moment is a cup which the Lord hands you. And you can drink it or not drink it for a time, for a time. And time, as we know, it comes to an end. We see eternity is not time, or at least this time, time as we know it. Eternal is the Greek word eonios. It's an adjective uh, that, that modifies a noun, eon. It literally means of the age, of the eon. Eternal life is life of God's age, God's time. It doesn't simply mean more of this time. It means a qualitatively different time. In John 3, Jesus said, whoever trusts in the Son has eternal life. And you could somehow have it now. In John 17, last chapter we preached from, Father, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, that they know you. That means eternal life is a relationship now. Eternal life is a relationship with God and His Word, Jesus. A relationship, uh, knowing Him. You know, I can gain knowledge of God by taking a class. By taking knowledge like fruit from some tree. I can know of God, but I can, I can know about God. But how do I know God? John chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden. A garden. Now, I can't even begin to tell you how huge this is, and I've tried. I mean, we've preached it. I even wrote a, a book about it. Actually, I think it's the best book that, that I've written, um, but I haven't found a publisher <laughs> And so if you'd like to read it, I'd like to email it to you. So if you'd like to read it, email me, and I'll email it to you. But the book is on the first chapter of Genesis. You know, Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are all about a garden. Ten years ago, I wrote another book on the Revelation and realized that uh, uh, that's also about a garden, uh, about a garden that becomes a city, the New Jerusalem coming down. You see, I think all these gardens are somehow the same garden. And because John has seen the revelation, he knows it. And you know, John is the one who points out in the, in the next chapter, and this is different than the other Gospels, John is the one who, who points this out, that Jesus is crucified on a tree in a garden. And he's buried in a tomb in the same garden. And he rises from the dead in the same garden. And when Mary goes to the tomb, she mistakes him for a gardener. Would you remember Eve's temptation in, in the garden? Do you remember that Eve is, is all of us? God's people, Jerusalem, God's bride, the bride of Christ, the bride of the ultimate Adam. And you remember that Eve is tempted. She's tempted to take the knowledge of the good. She's tempted to take the knowledge of God because God is good. Tempted to take the knowledge in order to make herself in the image of God. 
Now, that's fascinating because God had said that was his plan to make her in the image of God, right? But to make herself in the image of God. You see, she's not yet fully created in the image of God. She's, she's tempted, and she does this on the sixth day of creation. None of us are fully created till the end of the sixth day when Jesus cries from the tree, it is finished, and gives up his spirit. And then we are finished in God's image by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. But you see, we're made in God's image, not because we decided to take his life. We're made in God's image because he decided to give his life. Body broken on a tree. Covenant blood in a cup. Drink of it, all of you. You see, in, in the garden, Eve tries to create herself, and she creates nothing but death. And isn't that the ultimate nothing? God casts humanity out of the garden, and at the gate, it's a walled garden, at the gate he places a flaming sword, his judgment. Chapter 18, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. The language implies that it's a walled garden, and they crossed the Kidron in order to get there. And if this is Passover, which most scholars think it is, the Kidron Valley was literally a river of lamb's blood. 200 to 300,000 lambs that had been slaughtered in the temple that day. He and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and, and weapons, Judas. The name Judas comes from Judah where we get the word Jew of the tribe of, of, of Judah. Now, before you think I'm anti-Semitic, let me remind you that Jesus is also from the tribe of Judah, Jesus and, and uh, Judas, Judeans. The, the Jews are God's chosen people. Ezekiel chapter 16, God's bride. Now, now Judas is coming with a spera. That's a Latin word meaning at least 200 Roman soldiers, uh, possibly a thousand as well as police from the temple. Judas is coming to take Jesus' life. For 1,500 years, the Jews had been taking the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, taking the law in an effort to make themselves in God's image through the power of their own will. That's the flesh. John 8, Jesus says they are of their father, the devil. <laughs> oh, God! The devil! And just think about it. The, the Jews knew more about God than any other people on the face of the earth. They knew more about him. They knew all about God, his past deeds, his future promises. They knew all about God, but like refused to know God. They admired God. In fact, I, I think that they were jealous of God. That's why they took his life. That's why Judas took his life. That's why we take his life. Sin is taking his life. Judas admired Jesus. 
That's why he tried to control Jesus. Eve admired the good. That's why she took it. But you see, God is good. And God is life. And if you take life, you kill life, and the relationship dies, and eternal life is a relationship. Now. Well, Jesus is life. And taking his life on the tree is the essence of sin. Sin is using the good to make yourself in the image of the good. Sin is using God to make yourself God. Sin is trying to create yourself in God's image. Sin is writing your own story. Sin is making a life for yourself. Sin is making a life for yourself, and that life is an illusion in which we are trapped. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, knowing all that would happen to him, Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. The he is supplied by the translator. Jesus said to them, I am. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground, knocked him to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you. I am. Now, you know that John is famous for these I am statements. Um, before Abraham was, I am, said, said Jesus earlier in John. And, and, and there's a bunch of these I am statements, and most of the I am statements are pretty ambiguous. But this I am statement literally blows them away. You remember that when God revealed his name to Moses, he said, tell them, I am sent me to you. Uh, my name is I am that I am. And I'm sure Moses thought to himself, oh, gosh, thanks. That's, that's really helpful. <laughs> but actually, it is helpful. You see, God is uh, the one who is defined by no other. He's amnes. He's the ground of all being. He can't be defined by something else. Even the creator of space and time, that's who God is. He exists beyond, outside of, before and after space and time. You know, scientists tell us that at the speed of light, there is no passage of time. At the speed of light, there is no I was or I will be, only I am. An eternal now, where everything is now. So a photon of light doesn't exist in time. And yet all time is present to that photon of light. And so physicists say light is eternal because they don't know what else to say about it. And John writes, God is light. And Jesus is the light of the world. That means God doesn't change. We do. We exist in time. We exist in three dimensions of space, uh, length, width, depth, and a fourth dimension called time or, or duration. My life is revealed as a journey through time. 
My life is revealed as a story comprised of moments in time, even though I can only live one moment in time at a time. My life is like a, a timeline, right? It's like, it's like this. I, I don't exist, and all of a sudden, boom, there I am. I'm born into the world. I, I exist. And then I start on my journey. I go, to, I go to school, learn some stuff. I get some A's, some C's, some D's, whatever. And I go into high school. I meet a girl. I marry her. Uh, we have some children. I, I become a pastor. I pastor some churches. I make some decisions, some good decisions, some bad decisions. I decide to eat a lot of bacon, and it kills me, and I die. Boom. That's my story. Beginning to end my life, my whole life. And yet, you only see me at one moment in my life. And I only experience me at one moment in my life. But this is the question. How does I am experience me? How does I am see me? What is me? What's my life? Perhaps this little video clip would help you think about that. The first three dimensions can be described with these words, length, width, and depth. What word can we assign to the fourth dimension? One answer would be duration. If we think of ourselves as we were one minute ago, and then imagine ourselves as we are at this moment, the line we could draw from the one minute ago version to the right now version would be a line in the fourth dimension. If you were to see your body in the fourth dimension, you'd be like a long undulating snake with your embryonic self at one end and your deceased self at the other. But because we live from moment to moment in the third dimension, we're like our second dimensional flatlanders. Just like that flatlander who could only see two-dimensional cross-sections of objects from the dimension above, we, as three-dimensional creatures, can only see three-dimensional cross-sections of our fourth-dimensional self. So what is your life? I mean, when God looks at your life, what does he see? Does he see just this one moment in time? Or does he see this? I mean, the whole thing beginning to end. And how about this? When God saves your life, what does he save? Does he save just this a moment in time? Or does he save this, all your moments in time? When God redeems your life from the pit, is it all your life? All your, your moments? You know, Scripture says he forgives all your iniquities. And when I think about it, I have an iniquity just about every moment. Maybe it's all moments. Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. Would that, that, would that be like every moment? And Paul writes, all things work together for the good with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. All things. Is that like all moments? And, and Paul writes that if this earthly body, our tent, is destroyed, we have a heavenly body, our dwelling, eternal in the heavens, eternal in the heavens. When, when Jesus rose in his eternal body, he had scars. Wounds received in time, transformed into glory, eternal glory. You see, if God saves your life, 
if you lose it, and he saves it. If God saves your life, perhaps he saves all of it, redeems all of it. And a redeemed life is an eternal life. So see, perhaps, perhaps, believer, you not only have eternal life, but you have an eternal life. See what I mean? An eternal life, an eternal you, a finished you, a completed you, unique in all God's finished created creation, and an eternal life in the seventh day, God's finished eternal creation, and that you could not possibly better, be better than he or she is. In fact, that you looks at himself, at herself, and thinks, um, <laughs> I'm perfect. I could not be better than I am. And there is no one else that I would rather be. I cannot imagine a better me than the one that God has created. Perhaps there's an eternal you, a you of, of another age, God's age, outside of our space and time, eternal, indestructible in the heavens. You know, Scripture says, um, Paul writes this, that we have already, that we have been raised with Christ. Past tense. And we are seated with Him in the heavenly places. That must mean that you have an eternal life, an, an eternal life and, and in the heavenly places, and yet it bears wounds from this world, or, or at least wounds revealed in this world. You have an eternal life born out of space and time, or maybe you could even say manifest in space and time. Because John records Jesus is teaching that we can have eternal life now. Perhaps we must have our eternal life now. Perhaps we can live our eternal life now. Now is the right time. Now is the day of salvation, writes Paul. Now is where I am is. Now is where I can know another. Now is the point where eternity touches time. Now is where I know God. Now. Now, that will just give you a headache if you, if you think about it very long. And so for now, I hope you'd at least just get this. This is your life. And now here's the big question. Who made it? Who wrote that story? Who created it? Who's the author of your life? Well, if you, if you think about it much at all, I think, you think you'd have to come to this agreement. Well, um, gosh, not me. N not me. It's obvious, not you. How could you create you? You know, even if you make choices along the way, you didn't create the you that makes the choices. You ever thought about that? You see, God creates you. And your life is a gift, and that's called grace. God creates us, yet, yet none of us believes that. None of us really believes that. 
At least not completely, at least not very much. We think we create ourselves with our good choices and our hard work. We think we go to school or church to get the knowledge of good and evil so we can use that knowledge to make good choices and create ourselves in the image of God through the strength of our will. And then on Judgment Day, if God approves of our workmanship, He lets us in. Oh gosh, you made a bunch of good choices. You did a really good job creating yourself. I guess you're good enough. Come on in. That's what we think. Well, If you think you made yourself, that self is an illusion. That self is a lie. And that lie is sin. And sin creates a body of sin. That self, that body is dead. It may look alive, but but it's dead. And we were all dead in our trespasses and sins, writes Paul. But... If you have an eternal life, an eternal self, God made it. In other words, your eternal life is a gift. Uh, It's grace received by faith, and this not of ourselves, for we are His workmanship. And now I'm reading Ephesians 2, chapter, or verse 10. We are His workmanship created, past tense, already happened. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You have an eternal life that you should walk in it. Wow. Eternal life. And yet you still must walk in it. You still must live it. You still must experience it. You still must experience it in space and time. You must drink the cup that the Father has given you. Well, anyway, back to our text. They came to take Jesus' life. And yet Jesus gives them his life. He forgives his life. He said, I am the life. He's eternal life, and he gives you your eternal life. It's grace. Verse 7, so he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am. So if you seek these men, if you're if you seeking me, let, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you've given me, or those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, and he struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Now, the servant's name was Malchus. Malchus means kingdom. I just think it's interesting that John points this out. You see, I think Peter was trying to take control of the kingdom. You see, Peter, neither Peter nor Judas, liked the story that God was telling. I mean, you read the Gospels, you really, Judas and Peter both really had trouble with this idea that Jesus wouldn't just seize control and make himself king. To journey to Jerusalem and surrender your life, well, that's no life, thought Peter. And that's not how the story should go, judged Peter. You must not drink this cup. And so Peter took control and swung his, swung his, swung his sword, trying to rewrite the story. The Gospel. Verse 11. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Shall I not drink the cup? That's our text for the morning. 
which means I just finished my introduction to the sermon. <laughs> which means that we will have to come back next week and put flesh on this, all right? But for now, I just want to make a couple points and tell you why it means so much to me. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me, said Jesus to Peter. Shall I not live this moment, Peter? Shall I not experience this experience, Peter? Shall I not live my story? Shall I not live my life, my eternal life? You know, Jesus is the first Adam to live an eternal life. I mean, he's the firstborn of all creation and, and the only Adam to live without sin. Jesus, you see, that means Jesus received his whole life as grace by faith. I mean, he received every moment as a gift from his Father. You know, he said the Son only does what he sees his Father doing, present tense. It seems that he did nothing because he had it figured out in advance because he took knowledge of, of good and evil and came up with a, with a plan which he then uh, followed. I mean, each moment was a wholehearted, free, passionate surrender to his Father's will. That is, he entirely trusted his Father to write his story. And so whenever his Father handed him a cup, he, he drank it to the last drop. And every moment was a cup, for his father was sovereign. So every moment was a gift. And so when Jesus heard a good joke, I think he laughed the loudest. And when Jesus drank good wine, I think it tasted better to him than anybody else. When he saw the sunset, he just drank it in. When an old man told a story, Jesus listened to every detail. When, when he made furniture, it wasn't just work, it, it, was, it was worship. And when storms came his way, he either enjoyed them or fell asleep. And when he attended a funeral, he wept. He wept the most heartfelt of all tears. And even that night at the edge of hell, Luke records that he had thoroughly enjoyed the Passover dinner with his disciples. And when the father said, now, now is the time, my son, to drink the bitter cup, death and hell, he drank it to the last drop. Maybe you're even that last drop. He drank it. Jesus lived his life, his eternal life. He, he lived it, and God raised it indestructible from the dead. Jesus is the only Adam to live a life of complete faith and grace. And on the cross, he gave his faith to us, his life to us. We took his life and he gave his life. He forgave his life to us. He hands us the cup saying, take and drink. This is my blood. And the life is in the blood. It's God's grace poured out in Christ Jesus that fills our empty lives with meaning. Jesus is the meaning. And he transforms every moment of our dead lives into his eternal life. He transforms our story of shame into his story of grace. His story of grace is our eternal life, my true life, my, my true life, who I, 
really am. And now whenever I trust God through Christ Jesus, whenever and wherever I know God in Christ Jesus, I have courage to drink the cup. Courage to experience what he wants me to experience. Courage to live my life, my eternal life, the, the abundant life. Courage to be present in each moment, to laugh at the joke, to really enjoy the wine, to drink in the sunset, to listen to the old man's story. Courage to work and do my work as, as worship, to fall asleep in storms or enjoy storms, to feel sorrow and weep tears, to suffer and even die. Courage to lose my life and then find it. Courage to live. Then I have eternal life now. A relationship now. Faith is knowing Christ now. We live now in each moment of faith. So listen closely. In each moment that you trust God, in each moment that you trust God in Christ Jesus, you are drinking the cup and living your eternal life, receiving your eternal life by grace through faith. You see, you cannot create your life. I mean, this is utterly shocking when you really stop to think about it because we all believe that we do. But, but I, think this is what, I think this is what Scripture is telling us. You cannot create your life. You can only receive your life by grace through faith. Trusting the author of life each moment and drinking his cup. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has for me? Shall I not? Well, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? Well, how about fear? Anxiety. Fear because I believe a lie that I must create my life. And so I must manage each moment rather than drink each moment. So I must judge each moment and use each moment to make myself in the image of God, for I am my own workmanship. An empty illusion trapped in hell. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has for me, said Jesus to Peter. Well, my father was a pastor. And several years ago, miraculously, the Lord revealed to me that I went into the pastorate because I wanted to rewrite his story. You see, my dad was the best man that I've ever known and, the, and really the best pastor I've ever known. I mean, I'm kind of more of a preacher, but my dad, like, did what I talk about. You know what I mean? He pastored. He was the best pastor that I've ever known, and after 15 years of ministry, his denomination and church, they excommunicated him, and I, I just could not drink that cup. I refused to drink it. It was the wrong cup. I drew my sword, and I went into the ministry and thought, I'll fix it, but I didn't fix it. I, did, I didn't fix it. In fact, I lived, and, and I still live, so much of the time in fear, trying to make it right, trying to make me right, trying to make the kingdom right. And you see, that is just a universe of anxiety, and anxiety rapes every moment. And I didn't fix it. And three and a half years ago, I mean, in almost uh, kind of really this miraculous way, what happened to my dad happened to me. And now I tell, hesitate to, to tell this story because I don't want you to think it's simply 
about my life, and yet this was such a huge event in my life, and hopefully somehow my life can bear witness in, in your life. But three and a half years ago, the same thing happened to me. And I had worked, seriously, for like f- for 15 years, same amount of time, 15 years to control every moment to make sure that what happened to my father would never happen to me. Three and a half years ago, I thought... Uh, what I thought was my life. Three and a half years ago, the, the life I th- thought I created was taken away. And, and, and I, I want you to hear me. You've experienced the same thing. You lost your job. Or she said, I'm leaving you. Or he died. Or the children rebelled. The house burned down. You lost everything. Or the doctor said, um, I'm sorry, sir, but it's cancer and you have six weeks left to live. Three and a half years ago, I was publicly tried and excommunicated from my convictions about the power of God's grace. Well, just, just a few weeks before um, the sentence was handed down, about, about the time of the trial, when I was being asked to renounce my convictions, and I felt like I just could not do that with any sort of in, integrity, I, I preached this sermon one Sunday morning, and I remember I had just uh, broken the bread and poured the cup, and people had come down, and folks were coming forward to take the bread, dip it in the cup and everything, and I sat down in the front row next to Susan. It's about where Francis, you and Bill are, and I, I remember, um, I remember S- Susan was kind of like goofing around. Uh, this, it's weird, I would remember this, but she was like uh, goofing around, and I remember thinking, you know, dang it, woman, you're the pastor's wife, and things are stressful, and, and you need to worship. You really need, you really need to worship. I tried to forget about that. Well, it was like just a, a moment later, I, I remember she grabbed my arm. She grabbed my arm, and I turned, and I looked at her, and I could see something had really like shocked her or disturbed her, and this is what she said. She said, Peter, I just saw your dad. And you see, that was a big deal because at that time, my dad had been dead for three and a half years. She said, Peter, I just saw your dad. People were coming, the music was all around us, and so I, I had to lean into her, listen really close. She said, Peter, I just saw your dad. All at once, he was standing right in front of us, and she said, he wasn't old. He was, I don't know what age he was, but he was like so full of life, and he was so excited. His eyes were on fire, and he was holding like this bowl, and as he stood there, he leaned forward, and he held out the bowl, and this is what he said, Susan and Peter... Do not be afraid to drink the cup that the Lord has for you. And you see, most of the time I am afraid. I think I'm just beginning to understand what that means. Just beginning to understand what this means that on that night he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. And in the same way, after the supper, and having given thanks, thanks, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant, or as Hebrews puts it, the eternal covenant in my blood. Drink of it, all of you. See, what I'm saying is that you have an eternal life. You come to this table and you have eternal life, but not only that, you have an eternal life. And that eternal life 
is unique in all creation. It's unique to you and to Jesus. You see, you drink his cup. God comes to you as your life, your eternal life. To refuse to live your eternal life is to trap yourself in time, in hell. But to live it is to come home to God and to yourself, who you truly are. So drink the cup. Do not be afraid to drink the cup that the Father has for you. This morning, every one of you comes to the table in a moment, a situation. God wants to meet you in that moment. He's in that moment. It's an eternal moment. You see, it doesn't matter really what happened before. It doesn't matter what will happen in the future. He's asking you to drink a cup. And so as you come to the table this morning, bring your moment and drink his cup and live your life. In Jesus' name, trust Him. Amen. So you are His workmanship. His workmanship. Any other workmanship is a lie and an illusion that traps you in anxiety and fear. You are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Man, if, if I really believe that, I think it would be impossible for me to be anxious. And I'd live every moment like a gift from my Father. Even a painful moment. Not that I'd like the painful moments. I mean, not that that would necessarily be my will, but you see, I would have an even greater will, and that is to do the will of my Father. And that's what Jesus actually prayed in the garden that night. Not my will, but your will be done. And even that is a gift, uh, to participate in that kind of, that kind of love. Well, and we'll talk about that kind of stuff more next week. And I don't know exactly what it will be because, you see, actually this is everything. Um, and he becomes your, your everything. But hopefully you can come back next week and kind of read back over the passage this week. But um, maybe you just carry this phrase with you wherever you go, drink the cup. Because you see, if, every, if you believe that every cup was a, was a gift from your Father, you would drink every cup in joyful, ecstatic, ecstatic obedience. And good works, well, they wouldn't be a pain in the ass. You know what I mean? Because that's what they are right now, right? When you think that you have to somehow create your life with them. Just, just a pain. But no, they'd be um, the joy of a complete and total surrender. So anyway, um, drink the cup in Jesus' name, and uh, we'll see you back here again, hopefully, next week. Have a great week, and downstairs.